Turn in your copy of Scripture to Ephesians chapter 2. You can go in your hard book there. If you've got uh, papers and covers, go to Ephesians chapter 2. That's in the New Testament about three-quarters of the way through uh, the Bible. Uh, If you've got a digital device, go ahead and get to Ephesians chapter 2 on that digital device. If you have neither, uh, there is a Bible in the rack in front of you. Right in front of you, there is a Bible. It's not the green one. It's the maroon one. Uh, and you can go to the maroon book, that's the Bible, and go to Ephesians chapter 2. What we're doing uh, over the next few days, uh, weeks, is we are learning how to share the gospel with someone, okay? Now, I know that some of you have already figured this stuff out, and that's great. But if we do not continually work through how to share the gospel with people, then there'll be a day when um, uh, only that, that's reserved for people uh, who have seminary training or something like that or Bible college training. It should never be that way. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ is called by God to share the gospel with someone else. Now, the gospel, and let me go ahead and define it, the gospel is the good news that God saw us in our sin, sent Jesus to rescue us uh, when we repent our sin and place our faith in Him. It's uh, the good news that God, uh, uh, who made everything perfect according to His grand design, um, saw us breaking that design by rebelling against him, and yet in love sent our rescuer to us. Jesus, who is fully God, yet fully man, became, um, uh, came to this earth in uh, 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 Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Uh, he lived his life perfectly without sin, so that he might die the death that sinners like you and I deserve to die. So that if we place our trust in him, we receive forgiveness for our sin through faith in him and new life through his resurrection from the dead. Now, we'll talk about the good news of the good news. Uh, By the way, gospel literally means good news. So we're going to talk about the good news of the gospel beginning next week. Uh, we started it last week. We talked about God's design. And, uh, and God's design, we saw in Genesis 1, that God made man and woman in his own image and in his likeness. Uh, his design for humanity made in his image was so that we might have fellowship with him. The very definition of life is fellowship with God, according to Scripture. Now, let me repeat that because I don't want anybody to miss this. You say, I want to have a life. The very definition of life, according to God's design, is equal fellowship with God. Not scratch golfer. Not the University of Tennessee beating the Alabama Crimson Tide. People ask me, are you happy today? Well, yeah, I'm happy today. I would have been happy if Tennessee lost because my happiness is not dependent upon whether the University of Tennessee wins or loses. And if you have a sporting team and your happiness is dependent upon the wins or the losses of that sporting team, of which you are not a member, 
then you need to revisit the gospel, right? Anyway, uh, so happy, uh, uh, life is not uh, fishing. I'm going to pick some of my Life is not um, being a grandparent. Do you all know I have a granddaughter? Her name is Nora. I, and so that, that's happiness, that's joy, that is wondrousness, that is, it is a blessing in life, but that's not life. Um, life, according to Scripture, is fellowship with God. And if you can get that in your head, my goodness, if you're a follower of Jesus, you get that in your head and your heart, and you start living like that, it'll change the whole landscape of your life. Okay? So, life... According to Scripture, is fellowship with God. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might not buy that. That's okay. That, it's okay for you not to buy it. I'm not, you know, I'm not mad at you about that because there was a time where I didn't buy it. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you don't think that life, all of its fullness, good stuff, life, if you don't think that is fellowship with God, then I hope you'll stick with us for the next several weeks And I pray that God would convince you that life equals fellowship with God. Oh, by the way, can I I also, life does not equal being a good religious Southern Baptist church-going person sitting in a seat. That is not life. That's good good religious church-going person. But that is not equal to life. There are a lot of people who gather with us each week and have been gathering with us each week for decades and you do not know God. You're religious. You're moral. Awesome. You do not know God. If you were to die tonight, the only answer you would have to Jesus, why should I let you into heaven, is, well, I'm a good church-going person. I voted Republican the last election. If that's all you got going for you, you're not going to make heaven. You're not fit for God's family. It gets really quiet when I talk like this. It really does. And, and I want it to. Because it, there, you need to feel the weight. I need to feel the weight. I've been called to pastor this church. The only way I can pastor this church is by talking straight to you about what the Bible says. And the Bible does not say, be a good religious person and you shalt go to heaven. Be a good moral person and you are fit for God's family. No, being a good moral religious person is still being separated from God because your morality and your religious duties will never, ever make up for the sin in your life that separates you from God any more than all the pleasures of the world cannot uh, uh, numb the senses of your soul to make you feel good about a life separated from God. Friends, please hear me. Had one of our faithful uh, attenders come up to me after the first service and said, what you said really hit me and I need to talk to you. I pray through the dear Lord that's you as well. If you're counting on sitting in that seat, making you fit for heaven, you have lost your mind. It doesn't work that way. And can I tell you how I know? Because I am the king of trying that path. We'll get to that in a second. So when we're talking about sharing the gospel, we're using this thing called three circles. And as you see, how many circles do you see up there? And y'all are great. 
Last week, we looked at the first circle. The first circle, uh, yeah, some of, you, some of you really smart people are saying, no, there are four circles. Do you know why they're saying there are four circles? Yeah. Ignore those people. There are three circles up there. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, last week, we looked at the first circle, okay? The first circle, top left, that one, God's design. We looked in Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 30, 31, how that God made man and woman in his own image and his likeness. He made, us, uh, he made us for fellowship with himself. And God's design is perfect. And God's design leads to blessing. And God's design gives us purpose. And all that is true. Today, we've got to go through the valley of bad news. You see, all of us love the idea of God's design, but like Adam and Eve, all of us have rejected and rebelled against God's design. And that's Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, the Bible says that Adam and Eve, who were living in the paradise that God had designed, were given a mandate from God. God said, you can do what, uh, eat of any tree in this whole garden. You, uh, you subdue this land and possess it, and you multiply in it. This is paradise, but there's one tree you can't eat from, and you shall not eat from that tree. So God set up the parameters of his design. You realize that uh, God's design that leads to blessing also has boundaries that we should not transgress, that we should not violate. And when we violate those boundaries, we have decided that we know better than God, that our design is better than God's design. It's not just a moral uh, lapse for us. It is setting ourselves up as God or smarter than God or better than God. God has a way we're supposed to do life, his design. But I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it my way. And that's what Adam and Eve decided. Listening to the serpent in the garden, the devil, Adam and Eve said, God really didn't mean that if we eat of this, the fruit of this tree, we shall surely die. God didn't really mean that. God, God obviously didn't inspect this fruit. This fruit is good to eat. It looks good to eat. Let's taste it and see how good it is. And they did. And they violated God's design. They rebelled against God. And in that moment, sin entered the landscape of our life. We love to point the finger at Adam and Eve. Look what they've done to us, and certainly they deserve some of that. But make no mistake, you and I, we have done the exact same thing. And like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we have chosen to reject God's design and rebel against his will. He set up the boundaries of his will and for us to obey. And we have said, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do it my way. And the story of our life is found in Ephesians 2. Because we have rebelled against God's design, Because we have sinned against God. By the way, sin is very simple. Sin is when we do, act, think, believe, move, breathe 
in a way where we reject God for ourselves, or we say God doesn't, God, what God says doesn't matter to me. Reject God, reject his will, reject his design, rebel against him. That's sin. Okay? So in Ephesians chapter 2, because every person in this room, every person in this room, every single person in this room is a sinner, and because sin has separated us from God, what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned? God kicked them out of the garden. God is holy and just, and he must punish sin. It is sin that separates us from God. And because of that separation... We read our biography in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Read along with me. And you were dead in your sin and your trespass, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who now works among the sons of disobedience. In this you also once conducted yourselves in the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You were dead in your sin and trespass. You were led by the demons of darkness themselves. You were a child of wrath, and no matter how respectable your behavior in the sight of Southern Baptists, Your sin has made you a child of wrath in the sight of God. And that is your biography and mine. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 teaches us a simple truth. Same as Genesis 1 through 3 teaches us. The simple truth is sin destroys everything except for God's grace. Sin destroys everything. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead. No longer living. Uh, There is this picture of life, if we believe what the Bible says to be true, life is fellowship with God. Everybody say that. Life is, life is, death is, separation from God. Death is, death is, death is, what separates us from God? Sin. Who here has sinned? Raise your hand. That's all of us. Romans 3.23, for all, everyone, Without exception, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Romans uh, 6.23, for the penalty of our sin is, what's the word? Death. Death is, life is, sin has destroyed everything for us. Everything. Sin has destroyed our life. We're dead in our sin and trespass. Um, If you were to 
go into your house and you've just called the exterminator and the exterminators come and they've, they've uh, squirted all their, their chemicals everywhere, safe chemicals, I'm sure. Um, they've spread it all over the place, inside, outside. The next day or the next day, you begin to see these little bugs on their back, feet up like this. I don't know what you call those bugs, besides dead bugs. It's good. Hey, some of you call them water bugs. Some of you call them cockroaches. Some of you call them the demon spawn. When I was growing up, in, uh, when I was in high school and college in southeast Texas, Beaumont, Beaumont is humid, 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 humid. And uh, roaches, they, they flourish everywhere, but especially if you have humidity, they love that kind of stuff. So uh, you would have these roaches, and these weren't just regular roaches. You know, you have, the, uh, you have the regular roaches that are about, you know, quarter of an inch to three quarters of an inch, and, you know, they squirm around. No, no, these are the inch and a half cockroaches that fly. You know what I'm talking about? Those are the monster cockroaches. And you go around, you see, and look, it's not a function of, of hygiene. It is a function of humidity. These animals are flourishing in that southeastern, uh, southeast Texas environment. And I'm telling you, uh, they are menacing. Menacing. But even if you have these inch and a half flying spawn of Satan kind of bugs flying through the air, your orkin man comes on, or whatever you call them, and they come along, they spray around your house. Even those uh, monster bugs will be on their back, legs up, and they are dead. Now, if you take a dead cockroach and you go and you capture a living cockroach, they don't behave the same. Can we all agree? A dead cockroach does not behave like a living cockroach. A living cockroach from southeast Texas, a wood cockroach is what we called them. Those wood cockroaches, they grow big and they fly hard. And they're having a wonderful life. They're soaring through the skies, having a wonderful, wonderful experience. A dead cockroach in southeast Texas don't do no flying at all. Can we all agree that if something is dead, it does not behave like something that is alive? The same thing is true for you and for me and for your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers. The same thing is true for me when I was dead in my sin and trespass. I didn't behave like a living person. I behaved like a dead person. Everything was destroyed. My, 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 uh, my joy was destroyed, and I would be looking for a little bit of joy, just something to satiate my hunger for it. My, my, my uh, purpose was destroyed. I didn't have any purpose. I was aimless, and so I'd try to find something to fill that desire for purpose and intentionality, just to get a little taste of it. But it was, it was fleeting. It was like cotton candy. I, 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 I had no hope, and that was the big one. There's just no hope. Dead people have no hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul writes, you were separated from the 
covenants of promise and separated from the, from the family of God. And in the last part of verse 12, Ephesians 2.12 says, you were living without hope because you were living without God in this world. That is a description of humanity living in sin, separated from God. They are dead on the inside, destroyed. Sin destroys everything but God's grace. i got to put but God's grace in there, although I'm only going to talk about God's grace next week. I need to hint at it today. The only remedy we have for our sin problem, being dead, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and following. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together in Christ Jesus by grace you have been saved. Sin has destroyed me. Sin has destroyed the landscape of our life. Sin has destroyed everything except God's grace, and God's grace is what gives us hope. Sin has destroyed everything, and because of sin, my life is broken. Your life is broken. Um, The reason dead things don't behave like living things is because they are dead, broken. Every single bit of their organism that's supposed to work a certain way does not work that way. They're broken. You know what confuses me sometimes about myself, but especially about our church or followers of Jesus, is we behave, we, we expect dead people people dead in their sin and trespass to behave like people who've been made alive by faith through by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and we get mad at people who don't behave believe act function the way living followers of Jesus do we get mad about it they're dead in their sin and trespass but why don't they believe the way we believe well they're dead Why don't they act the way they're supposed to act? Well, they are dead. Why don't they have the moral code of conduct that we've got? They are dead. Why are we mad at them for behaving the way they're behaving? They don't know any better. They are dead. So when we approach people who are far from God, our goal is to help them see the destructive power of sin in their life. And then show them the way to be made alive. The goal is not to win an argument with them. Hear me, my friends. The goal is not to get on Twitter and be all in a Twitter rage because dead people are behaving like dead people, struggling and striving to find a little bit of hope, a little taste of joy for their life, and they're going all kinds of different directions to get that done. They are broken. Their life is broken. Their relationships are broken because they're dead, because sin has killed them on the inside. And what they need is God's grace to make them alive. But they're not going to get that if all you're doing is arguing about their lifestyle. Now, make no mistake, as I shared last week, we choose a way of life in order to dull the sense of emptiness that we have when we're dead in our sin and trespass. 
We violate God's design, not because we're just mean and hateful. We're violating God's design because we are trying to find a little hope where there is no hope. We're trying to do it our way. And, and, and Romans chapter 1, if, if you turn over to Romans chapter 1, you can read the whole of it there. But Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about people who, have, uh, who are living that broken kind of life because they're dead in their sin and trespass. That, that's who he's talking about. He's, he uses some specific terms about sexual uh, orientation and that kind of thing. But, but he's talking about idolaters. Uh, that, uh, that is a spiritual uh, theological term to describe every single one of us in this room. I, please, all right, get to 125 and then look up at me. If you think the sin of homosexuality is worse than the sin of lying, you do not have the biblical foundation upon which to stand. The, the sin of homosexuality or the sin of, of, uh, uh, of lying or cheating or deceiving or stealing or uh, whatever your flavor, all of those sins have killed us and separated us from God. Your sin, even though it may be more respectable in a Southern Baptist evangelical church, your sin is every bit as heinous and death-dealing as the sin you'll find on the Las Vegas Strip. Now, here's what I would say. When it comes to Romans chapter 1, Paul does highlight certain things as sin. Homosexuality is a sin, right? You might not believe that, and I, I, okay, you don't believe that, You've got to take that one up with God because God has clearly said, no matter what other people might say about it, God has clearly said homosexuality is a sin. That's what we believe as First Baptist Church Norfolk. If you don't believe that, please hang with us and hopefully you'll get to see what God says in his word and accept it as true. But if you don't want to accept it as true, don't get mad. At me, or you can be mad at me. It's okay. But don't get mad at other people in the room. Just get mad at me. But this is what we believe because it's what God has designed. God designs the way we're supposed to do life. We don't make it up as we go along. We're not trying to build an, uh, 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 replace a flat tire and a bike going downhill. God's already set up the design. We're just following it. Okay? And again, it might not be okay with you, and I get that, right? Not, I'm not mad at you. I just want you to understand why we believe what we believe. And we believe what we believe because of God's design that's found in his perfect word, right? So um, when we begin to tackle this issue of homosexuality or whatever in Romans chapter 1, avoid the temptation to just pick that sin and say that's all he's talking about. Oh, no. He's talking about your sin, too. Yeah, he's talking about my sin, too. Okay? So what does he say about that? Well, Romans 1.24, he says, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And then he described what they've done. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They worshiped and served the creature 
rather than the creator. Now, man, that, that is a description of what broken people do to try to be made whole. See, people you work with, people you go to school with, people that you hang out with, people in your neighborhood, people in your family, your friends, what they're doing is they're trying to find hope in a hopeless life. And so they, because they're broken, they're looking for something to fix them. And if you look at these circles, that second circle, so the first circle says God's design, the arrow at the top, you put sin above that, that leads to the uh, second circle, which is brokenness. And then those little four arrows that are squiggly lines, that is a picture of the things we pursue in order to make ourselves feel better, the things we pursue to try to fix what's broken in us. Uh, for instance, some, some people are going to try the Hallmark philosophy to fix what's broken in them. The Hallmark philosophy is, if I can just find that one person that's going to love me for me, then the sun's going to shine again, the storm's going to not kill the crops, and we're going to have a successful, fruitful business and life partnership. And my whole life is going to be better if I could just find somebody who will love me. If, 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 if I could just have that some kind of love take hold my heart and make me feel better. I want to know what love is. I'm not going to ask any of you to show me. But I'm just kidding. But that's the squiggly line. That's the hallmark. That's hallmark. Um, and maybe yours is the left um, the left-leaning versus the right-leaning. If, if I will just find the right uh, political answers, social answers, philosophical answers that are on the left, if that would just dominate my life and my surroundings, then my world is going to be made whole. Or if we just have the right people on the right in positions of power and influence or around me, and they are on the right, um, uh, you could say progressives or conservatives, but I hate those two terms. But if they're on the right and they believe this way and they're in political power, then my life is going to be better. Now, what we have, we have a whole world of people thinking that their brokenness is going to be made whole by philosophy and politics, and it's not going to work. That's why they get so frustrated. All these things are working, but they're still broken. Or it could just be simple pleasure. You could, you could uh, have an L or a B or a G or a T or a Q or a plus or I or whatever. You, you use a binary, non-binary, male, female, any of the uh, identity kind of ideas. And, and you just you stack those together and say, if I could just find my identity in any of these vowels uh, or consonants, I'm going to be okay. Oh, don't get mad at people who behave like that. They're not behaving like that because they, they are, they're just mean. They're not behaving that way because they hate you. They're behaving like that because they're broken and they're trying to be made whole. And they're looking at these different answers. So our job, see, I really do believe Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God for salvation for those who believe. Jew first and then the Greek. I believe in the power of the gospel. I believe it can rescue lives. I believe it can change lives. Why? Because it is through the power of the gospel and belief in Jesus Christ that a broken person can be made whole. I'm not fighting for a political ideology, although some of y'all have really gotten mad at me when I don't. I'm not fighting for a political ideology. I'm not going to lessen my standards for that. Did you hear me? I'm not going to lessen my calling to fight for a political ideology. I'm going to fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, that's what's going to change the world. Now, we need to be, in my opinion, my humble opinion, we need to be more diligent uh, to um, talk about the gospel because it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. And if we're more diligent to do that, if you notice, I'm not, I'm not abandoning anything when it comes to God's Word. You hear me? I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not compromising God's Word one whit. But I'm leaning into the only thing that can change a heart and make it whole. And that's the gospel. This past week, I was... Uh, over at Crossroads Building, and I was standing at the uh, 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 on the first floor. And I usually take stairs. I've tried to take elevators to have conversations with people and invite them to church and that kind of thing. Had the opportunity to do that a couple of times. But um, as I was standing uh, at the elevator, there's this one guy that was standing there, and and he was looking at the wall, looking uh, directory. Where can he find whoever? And I went over. And I said, Well, you know, I who are you looking for? And we talked a little bit about that. And then we stood there. I said, well, let's go up and, and push the button. And I said, I said, isn't it cool that we have something that is designed to get us from the first floor to the fourth floor safely? Isn't that, isn't that great? Yes, that's great. I said, I wonder how this thing works. Have you ever wondered how this thing works, how I can push a button on a wall, and it sends a signal, and then this carriage comes down to the right floor and picks me up, and then I get inside the carriage, and I push another button, and it takes me to the correct floor that I want to go in. I said, man, that just blows my mind. Isn't that a wonderful design? He said, it is wonderful. I said, I wonder how it works. And so he said, well, here's what you've got. Apparently, he's an engineer, and he wanted to tell me... <laughs> how that thing's designed. So he started down that road, and I'm like, okay, we've only got like two more floors. Got to get this on. Uh, but he, he, I, said, uh, I said, man, that, that's great. I said, have you ever been in an elevator that broke as ours started doing like this? I said, I'm just kidding. No, I, I said, have you ever been in an elevator that, that, that broke? And he said, no. I said, wouldn't that be terrible? He said, yes. I said, can you imagine being stuck in a and an elevator that was designed to get you where you're supposed to go, but it didn't get you there because it broke. He said, I would be, so, he used some expletives. He said, I'd be so mad. I said, I would too. Can you say those expletives again? So y'all got that. Anyway, I'm joking. I didn't say that. I said, yeah, it'd be upset. I said, you know, life is like that. He said, you know, the, what are you talking about? 
I said, life's like that. I said, I said, God has designed. So when you start talking about God, immediately their antenna gets up and they start backing away a little bit. I said, God has designed life so that you and I would be satisfied completely and totally. But it just doesn't seem that way, does it? I said, I remember there was a time in my life where I was so dissatisfied. And it was though the design that God had made just didn't work for me. I said, have you ever felt that way? He said, yeah, man. Yeah, I felt that way. I said, I said, uh, I, I said for me, it was like there was this big emptiness. And, and so I would try different things, the little arrows. I would try to find different ways to fill that emptiness. I said, have you ever done that? He said, yeah, man. I said, you want to know what my way was? My way was to try to find the right answer. He said, dude, I get you. You know, I'm fe- he was feeling me then. I said, my, if I could just get the right answer, right answer for everything. And if I could live by the right answer, then everything would be okay and I would be okay. But the problem was, as much as I tried to find the right answer, I was still empty on the inside. It just didn't, it, it didn't matter. I said, what, what do you pursue to, f- to fill that brokenness that you feel? And he told me what he did. I won't share it, but he told me what he did. It was a lot. He hadn't figured out I was a preacher by then, or he would have never shared all that. <laughs> true, true story. But he said, he said, I've done this, and I've done this. Just yesterday, I did this. And I said, well, you know, and I never do the feelings thing, but on this one, it, I said, well, how, how do you feel today after doing what you did yesterday? He said, man, it, no different. I said, man, that stinks, doesn't it? And he said, yes, it does, expletive. I said, can, can I share with you, do you have a, a minute? I know we're, we're right at your floor, but, but do you have just another 30 seconds to a minute for me to share with you what happened in my life that filled the emptiness, took away the brokenness, so that today and every day, I'm satisfied. Can I, can I take a minute to share that with you? Uh, no, I've got to get off right here. That's cool. That's cool. But I know where you are. I can find you. Yeah, I didn't say that because that would be stalkerish. But I know where he is, and I know where to find him. I'll be praying for more opportunities. But... Do you realize that just that beginning of a conversation sets the stage for the Spirit of God to change that person's life? Do you realize that's what God is calling all of us who are followers of His, part of His family through faith in Christ? That's what He's calling us to do. So my challenge for you and for me this week is for us to take seriously this mandate to share the gospel, and just begin the conversation. Just begin the conversation. And talk about God's design, talk about sin, and talk about brokenness. Next week we'll come back, we'll pick up the rest of the story, and get to the best of the good news. Would you bow your heads with me, please? One of the challenges of this message for me is... um, 
realizing that for many of us, the power of sin um, is a real thing, but we haven't really recognized how it is a destructive thing. That we look at sin um, as something bad, but not something devastating and death-dealing. And as followers of Jesus, I pray that you and I would once again be captured by the uh, destructive power of sin. And as we see the destructive power of sin, even more that we would see the wondrous power of a loving God who sent Jesus to die for our sin upon a cross so that through faith in him and repentance of our sin, we might find new life. Not through the works that we do or the pleasures that we pursue uh, or the philosophies that we embrace, not through the different games that we play. The only way for us to be made fit for God's family, to return to God's glorious design, is through faith in Jesus Christ. If we listen again to Ephesians 2, you were dead in your sin and trespass in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air who now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted yourself in the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together in Christ Jesus by grace you have been saved. I wonder if there's anyone in the room today who has been counting on their philosophy or their ambition or their moral behavior or their religious duties. I wonder if there are any of us in this room been counting on any of those squiggly lines to fix what's broken in us. And today, perhaps you're in this room and you've been coming to this church for decades, and you've been depending upon the fact that you've been coming to this church for decades to make you fit for God's family. But friends, being fit for God's family is not synonymous with some church-going adventure or rule-following morality. Being fit for God's family, being part of God's family, is for those who have been forgiven their sin through faith in Jesus Christ. A transaction of His grace where we abandon all that we are into His embrace, where we see that Jesus did die for my sin upon a cross. That's why He, he was killed, for my sin. And through his death, I can find life, but i got to give him everything that I am. Only then, only through faith in Christ, turning from our sin, trusting in Jesus, only then can the brokenness inside me be made whole. Only then can separation from God be transformed into fellowship with God. It's only through faith in Jesus. And maybe here today, you're not sure. You're not certain that you have placed your faith in Jesus and turned from your sin and become part of God's family. 
Now ask yourself this question. If you were to stand before God right now, and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your response? Oh, Lord, you know how good my daddy and my mama are. Lord, you saw how I voted in the 2016 election. Lord, you know how many Bible drills I won. Lord, you remember that person that was on the corner of the street who was asking for money because he was poor, and I rolled down my window and I gave him a 10? Lord, you know how accepting I am of people of other types of ideas and beliefs. Lord, do you know how many days I spent at that church? How many hours I put in? Lord, I was dunked in a tub. And God says all those answers are insufficient. There's only one way for us to be made fit for God's family and enter into eternity so that we spend all our days with God in heaven. There's only one way. Only one way. And that is to admit to God that we are sinners and our sin has separated us from Him. To believe on Jesus who died for, our cross, uh, died for our sin upon a cross and was raised from the dead to give us new life. And to commit our life to Jesus. You have all of me. I belong to you. If you have questions about whether or not you have accomplished that, if, if, if you're not certain that you have experienced that new life in Christ, you're not sure that, that you have uh, placed your faith in Jesus and become a new creation, I ask you today to just do the courageous thing. Come talk to me or one of the other pastors or ministers. Come talk to us. We'd love to share with you how that you can become a part of God's family through faith in Christ. We'd love to answer questions and walk through that journey with you. You can go to the next step station and say, look, preacher was talking. I've got some questions. Can you have somebody call me or can you talk to me? You can text the number, uh, text Jesus to the number on the screen right now or, or email pastor at firstnorfolk.org and, and just say, I, Pastor, I've got, I've got questions about all this. I beg you, don't leave this room. Don't leave this building until you have clarity about whether or not you're part of God's family. Now, Father in heaven, we give you glory and praise as you have given life to us through Jesus Christ who died. We thank you uh, that you sent him to pay the price for our sin through his death on the cross and to give us new life through his resurrection from the dead. Now I pray that you would help us. Help us celebrate this wondrous good news that gives us life. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.